You're listening to a podcast of Business News Background. A weekly roundup of the big stories here in Western Australia. Brought to you by Business News and Lush Digital. Welcome to another edition of Business News Background. I'm James Lush from Lush Digital. And uh, with us today, Mark Panel, Head of Content, and also Dan Wilkie, reporter, uh, with one of the major stories, which we'll come on to in just a second. Uh, gentlemen, good morning. Let's start with uh, uh, a story of a company which is often in the news, often w- w- with huge amounts of money attached to it in, in the mining side of things. Mark, uh, serious resources, managing to do something which a lot of companies are struggling with, raise money. Yes, that's right. Uh, quite big news, really, in these uh, tighter times. Uh, Sirius want to raise $189 million to develop its uh, Nova nickel deposit near Norseman. Um, and it's um, the third biggest fundraising for the year, or capital raising for the year. Um, and Nova is one of these things. It was spectacular uh, discovery a couple of years ago. Um, out of the blue, Sirius went up you know, a thousand percent or something. Um, even now, their total share return for the last year was 75%. So that's still a good return, even though the discovery was made some time ago. And look, I, it's an interesting timing. This is the world of nickel. There is a bit of um, improvement in nickel price lately, uh, but it's been in the doldrums for a couple of years. It's not been a great place to be. And it, you'd be thinking to yourself, why is someone wanting to develop a nickel deposit right now? But yeah. in fact, this is apparently such a good deposit, so low cost to uh, to develop to develop and produce from that. You know, I think it's the other producers who are in the market who might be worrying. Dan, yeah, Sirius announced to the to the market this morning that that, that their placement was heavily oversubscribed. Um, so ever since. A couple of years ago, they released those spectacular dr- drilling results. They've been a real market darling, and that momentum just looks like it's going to continue. People are showing no disinclination to jump off that bandwagon um, and really backing them. What, what does it say for other companies? I mean, I know this is obviously an easier one to get to, but uh, does it potentially encourage others that, that are needing to raise money, Mark? Well, look, I think the guys in the investment banking world and the investment world have been saying there's plenty of money parked on the sidelines yeah. for good projects. So what it says is if you've got a good project, you can get the money. Yeah. It does, <laughs> it's out there. It may also show, and again, once you see people commit to large fundraisings like this, then I guess the people with the next level down of project think, okay, there is money out there. And the people at the next level down, the more conservative people might think, okay, maybe the timing's right. So yes. it does start to... It's a trickle, isn't it? To, yeah, it does. It, it encourages people out. Another interesting story this week was the, the sort of the synergy board um, shuffling of the pack, or people saying, "Sorry, I'm out of here." Yeah. Uh, Michael Smith, in particular, chairman. This is significant in many ways, isn't it? Well, look, I guess you've got to balance this significance of four members of a six-member board leaving pretty much en masse yep. um, in, a, in a major government agency. Uh, against the fact that this is politics and people are going to make the most, the opposition is going to make the most of politics, political matters when they can. So Mike Smith has been uh, on that board for a long time and a, and a chairman and a, and a very well-respected uh, director. And he stepped down um, at around the same time as three others. Uh, Margaret Sears, who's a well-known academic and been on board mm-hmm. for a while. Keith Spence, who comes out of Woodside and, incre- and actually ran Woodside for a while. And another guy, Eric Hooper. Now, the, the, the word is that Mike Nahan, the energy minister, wants 
there's big changes coming in the electricity market and Synergy is a major part of that and he wanted apparently to have a full-time chairman. In other words, a chairman who wasn't occupied by other matters. Mm-hmm. It's a bit different than an executive chairman in the sense of someone who's both running the company and chairing the board. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Mike's time was due, really. He's been on that board, I think, seven or eight years. He was probably time to go. But uh, he had real reservations about that the suggestion that that's the way it should be done and I think when he stepped off may or may not have been natural timing but the others certainly wasn't so there's a bit of that there's a bit of concern from the board members that that this isn't the way to do it and there's a lot of debate around exactly what policy is coming so maybe there's a bit of a point where people say look I don't know what this period's going to be like it's going to be volatile let's just get out of the way okay that's interesting I I sort of had the feeling that it was potentially something to do with a merge or something that they'd been told had to happen in the next few years well they're talking about splitting it in two so they've they've merged Synergy with Verve to to create this Gen Taylor so it's it's got the retail it's got the customers and it and it's got the generation. But You've got to pronounce that correctly, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, you, you do. Don't want to put too many <laughs> uh, vowels Jen in there. Jen Taylor, yes, thank you. Um, but so, so what it's got now, you've got this dominant retailer with a lot of generational capacity. The government's talking about splitting that in two, so yep. you'd have two Gen Taylors, which could then compete with each other in the market. Right, okay. But you think it's one when all thought, let's do the same? I'd suggest so. Okay, uh, let's look at uh, another story. Um, <laughs> ever since I've been in Perth, uh, there's been this discussion uh, about Cottesloe and, uh, and the height of developments. And uh, Dan, you've been looking at that story. Mark, I'll start with you on, on this because the debates continue. I think I love that ever since, you know, it's been on and on and on and we've all been wondering and I think there's been this long, long battle and a slow process to develop initially just a couple of sites, the OBH and the Cottesloe Beach Hotel, which are both traditional sites and have had all their sorts of problems because, you know, as Cottesloe's matured and as the population's matured, these once once basically coastal pubs have become real right in the middle of suburbia yeah. and, and a wealthy part of suburbia. But uh, I think the news that came out this week, and I'll get Dan can do the details, but you know they're, they're going to allow a reasonable height level along there. They're going to allow redevelopment right along the bit where there's you know car parks and everything. And, and I, what I noted from the news of the week was that the Cottesloe mayor was on board. So there's obviously been some political change mm. in the council to... Uh, to get the tick to go, get that go, going ahead in, in Colin Barnett's electorate. Well, it's long regarded as probably the icon. It's the iconic beach. It's the place. And yet when you drive along and you look at some of the buildings alongside it, you think, really? Yeah. I mean, concrete a, a galore. There's no style at all. And so there's something needs to be done, Dan. Yeah, I think it's great that there's finally going to be some progress on the area. I mean, they haven't really gone that far with it either. They're allowing eight storeys at the OBH, six storeys at Il Lido, along Marine Parade between Eric and Forest Street, it's only five storeys, so it's not going to be huge. But as you say, if you have a look at the premium beachside areas around the world, you're talking sort of the Gold Coast, talking Waikiki Beach, Miami Beach, some people would say they're overdeveloped. I, I think it's a good balance. There's a lot of stuff to do. There's restaurants, there's cafes, there's bars. There's a lot of activation. That draws people in. Now, the big argument in Cottesloe is that this development is going to ruin the visual aspects of the suburb. Now, this is just my opinion. I don't think that... That is a really good argument. I mean, you're, you're going to have people, they might lose their views, yes, but that activation of the suburb, more restaurants, yeah. more bars, more cafes, more stuff to do, that's actually going to result in their property values increasing, not decreasing. Absolutely. I mean, you look at some of those buildings, there is absolutely no way that you say development isn't going to improve that. I mean, they're there from 20, 30 years ago, and they were hardly 
premium architect design buildings in the first place. Uh, look, totally true. And and they've also they've got very tired, and they've become they've become a problem for the for the neighbours anyway. I think the neighbours will win from this. Yes. But you know, look, I, we all want development, but not in our backyard, right? It's just a, it's a common thing. <laughs> I, you know, you you look back, and I still think the smart thing would have been for them to have developed a high-rise area mm. in a new place on a bit of coast that was untouched and, oh, you know, a bit of yeah. gold, a bit of mini Gold Coast somewhere yeah, that yeah. everyone can say, well, that we've done that. Yes. But, you know, Cottesloe, I also think, needs to be more than what it is today. Interesting. So there's some of the stories from this week. Uh, Dan Wilkie with uh, his thoughts, Mark Panel, Head of Content, and uh, I'm James Lush from Lush Digital Media. Let's look at next week's paper coming out on Monday. You've got a big feature, Dan, on branding and advertising. Mark, obviously something that you've, you, you, you feel strongly about as well. Yeah, look, you know, I mean, we we look at um, various advertising campaigns that take place um, during the year, but what we try to do is each year bring together what is a big theme, what's changing out there in the way companies are branding themselves and how are they doing things differently. Um, the big evolution at the moment is the way brands are using social media and the web to take control of their own destiny in a way. So they're less and less involved in traditional media. Um, And that's not to say traditional media are extinct or or Mm. out of date. And it's not to say that traditional media aren't part of that. They are a mix. And uh, I think one of the really interesting stories that we've got here is about Enyo and how they rebranded. And um, what they've done is two things. First of all, they were a party plan type of mm. seller and they've mm. gone direct to the public now. So you can bo- go and buy your Enyo gear mm. direct from Enyo. Mm. Um, and what they did was they they also want to make it a bit young and funky rather than just, um, you know, cleaning products are all the housewife who's exhausted and got guests coming. Oh, I've got to clean up. It's it's more than that. It's about you know it's part of having a, a nice lifestyle and a nice a nice place to live, um, and they view social media as a as a way of measuring what their television campaign did. So they basically use the TV to get people to go in on on social media and come yep. and communicate with them. And I guess what I see with that is you get that two way conversation Absolutely. and you get some lock in. You know, once you've got those consumers on your site and communicating with you and getting some stuff off you, it's yep. more than a visiting a shop. It, you know, you you're getting especially yes. with Facebook and all those totally. things, you're getting quite a lot of information about them. People always think it has to be done in isolation. Of course it doesn't. It all has to no. work together. It's a package. As a package. Yep. Dan? Uh, the thing that stood out for me um, in this feature, which was written by our colleague Shana Crispin, um, was that there's been a real, it shows, shown a real maturity of Perth's hospitality market. She wrote a great article on how a lot of the high profile restaurants around town are, are backed by celebrity chefs now. And you've seen the success of Jamie's Italian in the city. There's a whole bunch of them at, at um, Crown, including mm, Rockpool. Mm. And it's really the, the the restaurants and the hotels are promoting themselves off the back of the reputation of the yes. chef rather yes. than the reputation of the venue. And that's really a world trend. Um, it shows that Perth is maturing, Perth, Perth is becoming a world-class city in that regard. Yeah, but it makes you wonder as well how many more celebrities there are that can attach themselves to these brands in the first place. Yeah, well, you know, and uh, there is a limit, of course. There yeah, is a limit. yeah. There was one other bit of news in that feature. Um, we've got... Uh, We've got it. We do our lists, as you know, and and, and we do an av- a list of advertising agencies. And just based on staff, the brand agencies actually jumped up to number one for the first time. Market mm. Force has always been number one since mm. I've ever known those lists for fifteen years. Um, and brand and the brand agency has gone big into digital and expanded over east. Mm. So it's very interesting to see that. We've also got 
at least two agencies in there that literally didn't exist two or three years ago yeah. that are now in our top 15 because they're digital focus. Let's um, look at another story for next week. You've got a big property debate. Dan? Uh, yeah, we um, had a panel of very high-profile uh, property executives. We had Bill Hames, Gavin Hegney, uh, Paul Blackburn and David Airy to talk about sort of the state of the residential market in Perth. Um, and there was a couple of big issues that emerged. Um, first off, the apartment sector. There's a lot of building going on. I think anyone could notice that. It's very visual. There's cranes. They're big buildings. Um, Paul Blackburn said his research found that there's 19 projects under construction or about to start construction in the Perth area, which would deliver around 1,000 apartments. Um, and the, that's obviously that's a lot. But the flip side to that is developers have got to be on the money, not only with location, but design. Um, David Airy said that apartments that were seen as good quality five years ago and built just five years ago, they're no longer stacking up because of the quality of what's coming out of the ground now. And the other interesting aspect is Perth apartment developers are increasingly looking offshore. Um, They're going to be pitching the city to China a lot. And uh, Paul Blackburn said that his company is targeting 25% of apartments uh, uh, developed by Blackburn within two years will be to Chinese buyers. So that's a big shift. Are we in danger of flooding the market, Mark? Too, too many apartments all, all at the same time? Look, the glut word didn't come up, mm. okay? It seemed to be, you know, almost the elephant in the room. I think even the most bullish of the apartment guys on, on that panel said, yeah, look, there will, people will go broke. There are people who will, will stuff it up because basically not everyone could get these right. Yes. Uh, but their view was, the view was, the long-term view is that there is huge market growth. And I think Paul Blackburn, again, to use his stats, I think he said we've literally got to double the number of apartments we have per for the, per population, yes. and the population will double or triple. Yes. So, you know, so density was an issue as well, wasn't it? Well, you know... Th- People basically want to don't want to commute. The, the congestion Absolutely. in the city is yeah, basically yeah. forcing the issue. Yeah. That, that's that's really the main thing. And there's a lifestyle choice as well yeah, around yeah. what you can do in the city. Um, and uh, look, there was a third bit uh, in all that. There was the bit. Maybe Dan wants to talk about this in a sec. But the, one of the guys, Bill Hames, identified the fact that we've got this large amount of apartments going on, and we've got the traditional home building market. But in the there's a segment in between, multi-unit, smaller groups of uh, you know semi-detached housing there's not much of that around no, not at all. and it, he reckons a huge gap in the market yeah, yeah, so yeah. an opportunity there yeah um, mr. Hames he, he came out some um, some telling statistics on that um, what's currently being built is 82 percent house and land medium density so your townhouses your villas duplexes and triplexes type of thing 10 percent and apartments are eight percent there was a survey done last year called the housing we choose study that was a co-authored by Hames Charlie and the state government and respondents, 58% want to live in detached homes, 32% in medium density and 10% in apartments. So th- those numbers aren't stacking up and no. we're not, developers aren't necessarily giving the people what they want. They're not, they're not listening to the market, which is interesting. They could be punished for it. Let's end finally with uh, um, uh, one more story, which is in next week's paper, all about graphite. Suddenly graphite is the end thing. It is indeed. Not and, you for know, your pencil. <laughs> I was going to say, you think about graphite and you think about a lead pencil and you think, surely that's out of fashion now. Surely. But, but good old graphite, the great survivor, has found a new a new way of getting into people's Bicycles. hands. Bicycles. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like they're coming back in bikes. No, batteries. Batteries are number one. All right? And that's partly, you know, people talk about lithium as being the, the, the big 
the lithium battery mm. is being mm. about. Well, you need something like 30 or 40 times the of um, graphite than you do of lithium to make these batteries. So that's seen as a really important part of it, but they've also found that graphite is a great conductor. It can be made really strong, stronger than steel. So you can actually, they're seeing that graphite can become part of this new wave of technological equipment that we've got, uh-huh. that, you know, flexible phones and all sorts of things like that. As a, you know, all sorts of machinery and things that need to be kept cool. Graphite's a good element, needs conductivity. Graphite's got a lot of strength. So what we've seen is a number of companies mm. have gone on a massive run it's all happened since June 30, actually, and there's been some really oh, strong returns on that. Uh, and WA firms, so don't tell well, us we've we have just, that as well. Well, we've just looked at the WA ones. There's a lot of firms around the nation, and they, they, there's not a lot of deposits here. They've oh, they okay. mainly got deposits in Africa or whatever, but it's there's still there are graphite deposits here, and it's just another another little uh, thing that we might As might if we didn't have enough closely. resources, <laughs> we add graphite to the mix as well. Absolutely. Superb. All in the paper next week. Um, gentlemen, thank you very much indeed for a look at uh, last week's, uh, or this week's news, and uh, look ahead to to next week. If you want to listen to this via iTunes, you can subscribe and it will appear on your gadget uh, automatically. And we'll chat again same time next week. Thanks very much. Thanks. You've been listening to a podcast of Business News Background, brought to you by Business News and Lush Digital. For more information, go to the website businessnews.com.au.